morning. That was kind of halfway. Good morning. Hey, I don't know if you're aware, but today after church, we are having a uh, class that we do quarterly called our Discover class. And uh, we want to encourage anybody who is relatively new to the body to stay around and eat some uh, lunch with us and spend a couple of hours just kind of uh, learning about what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ here at Metairie Church. If uh, I don't mean to call anybody out, I normally do this, but I do have lunch responsibilities and I want to make sure that we're good on the food. Uh, we have some folks that are planning on staying today. Just kind of slide your hand up. Okay, yeah, maybe we've got a couple. So, you know what? We're going to have a lot of pizza left over. So I just want you to know, if you want to stay, it's not too late. You're more than welcome to, uh, to stay with and uh, spend the early afternoon with us. So I want to invite you to open up. I, it was already read, but open up to John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. That's John, the Gospel of John. Not to be confused with first, second, or third at the end of the Bible, uh, but John the Gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. So we're going to explore this text together, and uh, we're also going to bounce over to John chapter 6 a little bit later. So if you want to, you know, if you're kind of one of those students that really likes to you know, have the game plan and know where everything's at. And, you know, you can kind of stick your little ribbon or your finger or a piece of paper in John 6. We'll go over there too. So in the Bible, we find four uh, men that were always around Jesus. And really there's 12 of them, but there were four. And some of you are like, well, I thought it was three. Um, But there were four. That's kind of the point. We're going to get to that here in a second. But there were four that were always kind of in Jesus's um, immediate uh, vicinity. They were always around these guys were named uh, Peter, James, John, and anybody know? Andrew. Thank you. See, Andrew always gets left out. He's the guy that's like, um, hey, who's, who's Jesus' favorite guys? Peter, James, and John. And then Andrew's sitting there going, I'm always here. You know, so um, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I certainly have. Um, but a- Andrew. And so if you, uh, if you think about Um, James and John, you know, um, they were often in the Bible called the sons of thunder, you know, and if somebody uh, said, uh, I really don't want to hear about that Jesus you're talking about, these guys would would often say, well, I'm just going to call fire down from heaven on you. Like they were that way. They were kind of intense guys, uh, super oriented around sharing the gospel. And then we know Peter, right? I mean, if you've been in church very long, you have a sense of who Peter is. Uh, Peter is kind of the guy who has a hard time taming his tongue, you know, like controlling his mouth. He's kind of more reactionary than thoughtful. You know, this is Peter. And, uh, you know, you could go through a ton of examples on that, but um, Peter's just kind of a fireball, you know. Uh, But then when you think of Andrew, most of us, we don't think of anything. We have no, like, um, like, moment to hang our hat on when it comes to our perspective on this guy. He's, uh, he's one that the Bible teaches, though, that impacted one. He was a one-at-a-time kind of guy. He wasn't um, Peter who got up at the Pentecost uh, when the Spirit fell and like stood up on the doorstep and began to preach the gospel for the first time. This, that's not Andrew. Andrew's a one-at-a-time, uh, focus-on-one-guy-at-a-time kind of man. And so... Um, The truth is, we don't understand how important those who feel like they're insignificant really are. And I think Andrew probably felt, at times, a little bit insignificant. The Bible teaches that when Andrew got saved, 
the very first thing that he did, does anybody know? We actually talked about it one week. Augustine talked about it one week in the, early in this Who's You One series. Um, Andrew, as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, he went and found his, his buddy Peter. Like he, straight away, the text says, he went and found Peter. And he, the text says he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew got saved and he brings his brother, Peter, right to Jesus. And uh, he didn't tell him where to go. He didn't say, hey, I met this guy. You should go over to such and such a place and you should go meet him. He's pretty cool. Instead, he said, Peter, you've got to come with me. There's this guy that I need you to meet. So he grabs Peter up and, you know, Peter's probably jibber jabbering all the way. You know, and he's like, I don't know what you want. Why are you, why are you, and Andrew's like, no, you've got to come meet this guy. His name is Jesus and he's the one. And so, um, you know, uh, I hope during this, this series, like this time over the last five or six weeks that you've had the opportunity to identify one. Uh, we've encouraged that. We've called the church throughout this series to, um, to consider who, who Christ might have you uh, impact by the story of your life and by the gospel of Christ. And uh, from the first week, we handed out these little uh, bookmarks. Uh, they might be floating around today. There's some on the table for sure. They have a tear-off. We asked you to prayerfully consider who, who God might use you, your story, your life, um, to, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in their life. And you wrote their names down, you tore them off. There's actually a little bulletin board over here. Uh, the ones we received back, we turned over and pinned the bulletin board. So we'd have a sense that we're kind of all in this together, identifying someone that God might have for us to, um, that we might be committed to bringing to Christ Jesus like Andrew did with Peter. So um, that's kind of where we've been. You know, we've been encouraging that and, and stirring that in your heart. And now, now we come to this moment where we want to talk about Andrew, who really modeled, I think, in a lot of ways, what we've been calling the church to do over these, these weeks. And uh, by the way, this is our last sermon in the Who's You One series. And so um, today's, today's the day. Um, we're, we're calling you not to end this effort and not to stop praying, not to stop sharing the gospel, but... Uh, we're calling you to instead, like, see the series as the beginning of your pursuit, the beginning of your sharing, the continuing of your praying for this one or these people that God has laid on your heart, for you to walk like Andrew walked um, with Peter and with others. So let me tell you for a few minutes uh, what's significant about Andrew. The Bible teaches that he was the first disciple of Jesus Christ, um, he and then John, and uh, first Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he probably already been baptized in the Jordan River by John uh, the Baptist. But at some point, John said to him, um, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John actually says, um, I'm just the forerunner. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to symbolically wash sins away, but there's one that's coming who's going to absolutely wash your sins away. And so... Um, Andrew's following John the Baptist around, and uh, this is the context for Andrew. And one day, Andrew's standing with his mentor, John the Baptist, and Jesus walks by, and John says in John uh, one twenty nine, Behold. Behold. That, that means, look. Look right over there. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And what does Andrew do? Anybody know? He quit following John, and he started following Jesus. He quit following John, and he started following Jesus. When I think of Andrew, I think Andrew's an inviter, you know? He's one of these guys that's really quick to invite a friend. Um, let me tell you why that's significant. 
Uh, did you know that most people that will ever sit in the church, and actually, some, you may or may not know this, we've had almost every week since August, we've had a new set of faces or a new face in the room um, here at Metairie Church, which is so great. Even this morning, I look around and there's three or four people that I've never seen before. I'm super glad for that. But let me tell you something. Um, if we were to poll the audience and all those people who have come, did you know that 99% of those people would have come through the door of this church, not because they found us on Google? Now, some do. But 99% of those people come because somebody in the room invited them to come. Somebody. Now, there's new people in the room today. And I don't know a lot about you, but you, I already know you were invited by somebody. And there's some of you who are somewhat new to the church. And I already know that you're here because somebody invited you to be here. And there's one or two that are here just because they saw us on, the, on social media. But the vast majority of people are here is because somebody invited them. It's just the truth. It's the way it works. They come on the arm of a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a relative. Um, and our hope is that they encounter Christ through the body of Christ. They encounter Christ through the word of God. They encounter Christ through our, our fellowship and our love for them. They encounter Christ because they sense the spirit of God moving through our worship. And because it's the body of Christ, just like Andrew, we have brought them to Christ. They are in a place and in a position to be able to experience the love and the truth of Christ Jesus among God's people. And that's important. Now, I don't, I don't want to minimize us going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus, but the truth of the matter is Andrew was an inviter, and we need to be inviters too. You know, he was also an introducer. You know, when you, uh, when you uh, have somebody come in the door of the church, uh, a lot of times, um, and you bring a friend, and a lot of times what happens first, or even out in the community, when you're with, with your wife or with your, your friend and you meet somebody new or you see somebody you know from another place, you're like, oh, hey, it's so good to see you. High five. And if you know them really well, you're like, hey, it's good to see you. You're like, let me introduce you to my, the people who are really important to you that are with you, right? Your, your beautiful spouse, your children, your best friend, your other coworker. You always introduce them. It's just kind of what's normal. And, and this, is, this is Andrew's rhythm too. He would in, invite, he would grab, and he would drag, and he'd say, hey, come on, let's go do this thing. And then he would introduce, and he would introduce um, he would introduce Peter ultimately to Jesus. And in the context of the church, we're inviting people in. We're introducing them to our church family. We're in, introducing them through, to the Word of God through small group and through Bible study. Uh, we're introducing them to, a, to what worship looks like in the context of the body of Christ. And in, somewhere in there, they meet Jesus. They see Jesus in us. We're introducing them. You know, uh, Andrew's also, and these are all words that kind of uh, mean the same thing, but they're just a little different connotations. He's a bringer. Um, how did you, uh, how did you come to uh, Metairie Church the first time? Well, my neighbors brought me. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, um, my mom or so-and-so, they, they drug me to church when I was coming up. Anybody, maybe that, was that anybody, anybody that was your experience? That was mine. My, my mom was like, get out of the bed. We're going to church today. And I'm like, ah, but somewhere along the line, like for me, uh, the truths that I was hearing in church, the truths I was hearing from my mom, even though I, there was a part of me that was like, oh, shoot. The Holy Spirit was faithful even in my bringing to, to do a work in me that led me ultimately as a kid to faith in Jesus Christ. So we see Andrew, um, you know, he's an inviter. You know, he's an introducer. He's a bringer. He's, he's, he's a guy who wants to see people, see his one, know Christ. Um, it's his desire. It's his longing. You know, people might feel initially a little pulled, maybe even a little like 
obligated. But let me tell you something. Um, you invite people here, and we are being who God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do. Or you invite someone into your home, and they see Christian family modeled. Or you invite them to go to a crawfish boil with you, um, and the church people from the church families there. Or you invite them to celebrate Mardi Gras with you and a bunch of your church friends. Like suddenly they're going, "This isn't what I expected." You know, this isn't what the world around me said that this church thing was supposed to be. And one thing leads to another, and the Holy Spirit does His job. And it opens the door for us to begin to share the gospel. So this morning, we're going to work through some things, but let's be like Andrew. Can we do that? Can we be like this guy? This guy who, honestly, nobody really knows a whole lot about, but that made a tremendous impact on the world. Write this down. It's the first point. Andrew saw value of individual people. Andrew saw value of individual people. It's on the screen. Um, we encourage uh, people, you know, don't feel like you're not doing something right if you're not doing this, but we always encourage people to write things down because then it's a trigger for later when you read back through it and you're praying back through it. And the Holy Spirit can use those words that you've written down to speak to you again later in the week. And you can begin to apply the word in a little different way than maybe, you know, you only remember about 20, 20, 25% of what we're going to say today anyway. So write us something down, you know. So um, Andrew saw the value of individual people. You know, he, uh, he appreciated the value of a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. We have no record of Andrew ever preaching before an assembly or a congregation. Almost every time we see him in the gospel accounts, he's bringing one, one to Jesus. Just one. Let me challenge you to begin doing something. I want to challenge you to begin today to invite and invest and introduce people to Jesus. Here's how it works. You invite a neighbor or a family member or a coworker, college students, a classmate, even high school and middle school students, kids. You invite them um, to dinner. Like you thought I was going to say church, didn't you? Now you can invite them to church. That's a good thing to do. But I think dinner, God has a plan for hospitality. Invite them to dinner. I'm just being practical here. It could be coffee. It could be lunch somewhere out, out. I tend to think hospitality in the home is pretty powerful, but not everybody's in that age and stage or, or is able to do that. And so um, invite them into your space, into your world, into your rhythms, into your life. In our case, you know, inviting people into our home is hard. Let, let me be frank. Um, I am married. We have a whole bunch of children. There's one on the way. It's, it's wild. Our house is little. But can I tell you, it's harder to go out to eat because... I mean, you can't feed all these people. You know, it's, it's too expensive. And so the best we can, we invite people into our home. And it's, it's wild. You know, some of you, you're going, uh-huh, because you've been to my house, many of you. Um, it's wild. It's, uh, it's untamed. It's real and raw. It, uh, it, if, you, if you ask a couple of the girls from this past week that came over, it's filled with song and dance. You know, it's, you know it might be off the video game, but it's a lot of fun. You know, we have a good time. But it's not easy. You know, it's a chore to kind of get the house ready and kind of get, get things together and cook dinner. But um, we found over and over that wh whether people are in Christ or they're not in Christ, it's, it's a place where we begin to break the ice related to their walk with Jesus or, or their need to come to faith in Jesus. It's how investment oftentimes um, begins. So it can also be taking somebody to lunch or coffee. Um, I want to just practically... If you're able, pay. Like, that sounds silly, but, you know, you're there with an intention to share Jesus. If you can't, don't, but if you can, do. Pay, and then at some point, 
either at dinner, at your house, or at coffee or lunch, say, hey, tell me a little bit of your story. And they do. And then you say, can I tell you a little bit of my story? And instead of talking about like how you got the dog or where, where these kids came from, uh, tell them about who you were before Jesus. Tell them about what Jesus did in your life and tell them about your life in Christ Jesus. Like just say, this is my story. This is my song. You know, it's Jesus and only Jesus. And all the rest of this, it's window trappings. It's, it's great stuff. It's things that God has uh, done. But man, Jesus is the one. And share the story. Tell them about your life. And as you get opportunity, begin to share the, the truths about the gospel. Sprinkle them in, in your story or kind of save it for the end. But talk about Jesus. You know, um, you might say, just one. Uh, well, it depends on what you can do. But yes, one, at least one. Or um, at every opportunity. Just depends on kind of where you are, but... Get started. Begin with one. The truth is that most of us here um, have never played a significant role in bringing someone to Jesus Christ. So start with one. Just start with one. Just pick one. You see, Andrew was driven by a passion for the truth of God. But he was willing to subject himself to the most extreme uh, kind of hardships. God... You know, God used him. And for us, like inviting people in and, and connecting, it may be hard. It may be something we're sensitive about, but it's nothing compared to, we'll talk about this later, what Andrew ultimately, what it ultimately cost Andrew. Here's a man that just a few months after Jesus' baptism, here's the call of God in his life, a man that makes a difference. He brought Peter to Jesus. You know, that's, that's one and then um, he brought, we'll talk about this later, but he brought a lad with a lunch to Jesus. That's one. Andrew was referred to as the, the first home missionary um, in the New Testament because he brought just over and over and over just one to Jesus. You know, one can be pretty powerful. Anybody ever heard of a guy named um, D.L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody? Now, the ones in seminary definitely have. If you've been in church a long time or you're a fan of church history, you might have. This guy's a famous preacher that truthfully led thousands and thousands and thousands of people to faith in Jesus. Many of you have heard his name, but has anybody in the room ever heard um, of a guy named Edward, Edward Kimball? Now, if you know Dwight L. Moody's story, then maybe you have. But outside of Dwight L. Moody's story, you've never heard, heard that man's name. Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He was timid. He was shy. Um, he also felt led of God to go share the gospel with a younger man named D.L. Moody who had, he had connected with um, through his uh, Sunday school teaching. It was one of these things where Dwight L. Moody has showed up and he didn't really want to be there and he's kind of like this cocky uh, 17, 18-year-old kid. But this Sunday school teacher, God placed in his heart that God wanted to use um, this Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, to lead um, Dwight L. Moody to faith in Jesus. And so um, he decided he'd go to work where Dwight L. Moody uh, worked. Now, a little bit about uh, Moody. He was illiterate. He was obnoxious. He was bold. He was aggressive. Even after he gave his life to Jesus and began to preach, often people would come up and be like, why do you talk like that? <laughs> like, he was just kind of this raw, no, no one could use me kind of guy. But God did. And so he's a little intimidating even for a teacher. You know, you ever been ta taught a class and you, you had that kid in class that was like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Just kind of a punk. You know, that, that was Dwight L. Moody. He was the punk in the class. 
And so you have this timid man, this Bible study teacher, nervous, has a sense that uh, he's supposed to go. So he goes and he's so preoccupied with his nervousness that he walks right past the store on accident. And then he realizes it and turns around and he comes back and he comes to the door and he's like, I've got to do this. And Mr. Kimball opens the door. He approaches the door. He's about to open the door of the the shop. And he thinks, "Uh, I shouldn't go in here because there's going to be people that he works with and people that are like there to buy shoes that are going to be like, that's in that that guy's in that guy that teaches Sunday school at the the church in our neighborhood. Like what's he doing here? And why would he want to talk to Dwight, like this guy's a nut. And uh, is it going to reflect badly on this young man that I'm here to see? And so um, he almost didn't go in, but the Holy Spirit said, go. And so he went. Even with his concerns, even with his nervousness, um, even with his fleshly desire not to go, finally, he built up his courage and he goes in. And he says, "Is, um, is Moody here? Guess where he was? He's back in the back. He's stocking shoes. He's He's back there, so he goes back, and he kind of corners him, and it's this awkward conversation, truthfully. It's a conversation that you go, ooh, that was bad. You ever had one of those? Like you have to deliver some news or have a conversation or there's a little conflict, and you're like, ooh, even after it was over? That, that didn't go exactly the way I thought it, it should have gone. Um, later, Kimball was asked, what did you share with him when you cornered him in the shoe store? And he says, Lord, if I know, I was nervous. I hardly remember. I just remember talking about the love of God and the cross of Jesus and my desire to see him know Christ and uh, that I wanted to make him known and wanted to make him known in, in, in Moody's life. And can I tell you what happened? Like right in the middle of that, in the middle of his stammering and his stuttering, Dwight L. Moody looked up and he said, can I give my life to Jesus right now? Mr. Kimball was like, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. Isn't that amazing that God would use a a shy, stammering and stuttering man to reach a punk kid that everybody just kind of had lost hope on? Um, You know who Charles Spurgeon is? Anybody know that guy? He's another guy who's made tremendous impact. You know, if you there's memes everywhere with Charles Spurgeon quotes and. If you like all up in the Christian-like thing, then you've seen that before. Um, you know how he came to faith in Jesus? See, there was, uh, there's so much being written on the gospel today, you feel like um, you've got to be some sort of scholar um, to, to talk about Jesus anymore. Um, but uh, to be some kind of great man or woman of God, um, you know, somebody that's worthy of being quoted. Um, but, uh, but Charles Spurgeon showed up at a worship service one day, and uh, the preacher who was supposed to preach at this revival service didn't show up. And some layman who had never preached a sermon um, got up in the pulpit and just basically said, you know, here's who Jesus is. He loves you. He wants you to give your life to Jesus. He wants, he wants you to give your life to him. And somewhere along the line, God had prepared Charles Spurgeon's heart. And this plain, ordinary, not well-spoken layman in the church that got up and read a couple of verses of Scripture and said, give your life to Jesus. It was the shortest sermon that anyone's ever preached. And Charles Spurgeon said, sign me up. And he gave his life to Jesus. Just a layman who was in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, depending on how you see it. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't eloquent. It was just obedient. Can I tell you what happened when Moody got saved? He led a man to the Lord named, I love this guy's name, C.T. Studd. It's a good name, right? 
He's, uh, he became a great pioneer, one of the greatest pioneer missionaries in history. A guy got saved by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And if you, you know a little bit of Christian history, you know that Wilbur Chapman preached and got others and other people got saved. And then those people went out and shared the gospel. And eventually they led a man named Billy Graham to faith in Jesus. So we're tracking spiritual history, a lineage here. You've got Moody, and then you've got another guy, and another guy, and another guy, and then eventually somewhere along the line, and most of these people um, just shared one, and occasionally somebody preached the gospel. But there's a lineage here, and Billy Graham came to faith in Jesus, and then Billy Graham, some years later, um, preached the gospel in New Orleans, Louisiana, and one of the reasons many of the churches exist in this city today, and many of the reasons that some of the older generation Christians that are Christians today in this city is because Billy Graham came to the city and preached a revival service here, and thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus and filled the church. Now, our church, I mean, big C in our city, it's not super strong. Like, when, according to the world standards, you know, there's only like 5-7% of the whole population that's genuinely following after Christ in this city. But can you imagine what, would, what it would be like if Billy Graham hadn't done his work? There are probably men and women in this room today who have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the ministries of the people who came to faith in Jesus Christ in those services. There's ministry happening today over and over and over in our city um, because this Scared little Sunday school teacher did what Jesus said. There's power in one. That's the thing about the sovereignty of God. He is so much bigger and so much higher than us. His ways are so much greater than our ways. His thoughts are so much bigger than our thoughts. You don't have to figure it out any more than I do. I, I don't have it all figured out, but God does. The world will, hear the, will not hear the gospel unless God's people get faithful and they take the gospel to the ends of the earth, period. He didn't choose a, a loudspeaker or a, or a host of angels. Well, he did that one time, you know, with the, the shepherds out in the field. He did, he did a choir of angels one time. But every other time, what he's chosen to do is to save you by the witness of one or through the preaching of God's word. And he's done that in you. And there's people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, um, in your family, in your community that are destined for separation from God apart from your one. And God wants to use your life your sphere of influence, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, to see the life of one changed. For you to take your, your ability to build a relationship, your knowledge of the, of the word of truth, your story, your family, your faith family, and to be the hands and feet and voice, the image of Christ that God made us to be. Amazing. Andrew saw value in individual people. He saw value in one, and we should too. Second thing, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. That's like two-thirds of the sermon, so bear with me. We've got two more points that are fast. Uh, number two, and we're going to shift biblical stories a little bit. Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. You know, there's another story that involves Andrew. Um, you're catching, we're more of a character story today than just one little text, um, but uh, there's another story that involves Andrew. Uh, I mentioned it before. It's found in John chapter 6. This is a story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? In case you don't, this is a story um, where one of the disciples, his name was Philip, only saw the problem, and he struggled to see how God might do the impossible. There were some doubts for Philip. 
And he was like, let's just send these people home so they can go eat. Because everybody had been with Jesus all day. They'd been out in, in the wilderness and Jesus was preaching and it, it had gotten long and the, the, the men, women, and children were all hungry and they were thirsty. And so it's a problem. You got 5,000 men plus the women, plus the children. There's a multitude of people there in front of Jesus and they're all super hungry. They're more hungry for the word than they are for the food. That's why they're there. But they're hungry nonetheless. And Philip says, hey, we got to send these guys home. And in Jesus is thinking, I got more to say. I've got more to say. And Philip is like, but they're hungry. And Jesus is like, well, I've got more to say. You know, most people, that's how we see evangelism. We're like, we know that people need to hear Jesus, but man, they're hungry for something else. I don't want to step on their toes. We've got all these different reasons why we can't do what we're supposed to do. We, we, have, we kind of see the big problem rather than have faith even in the little things. But um, Andrew steps up and he's like, hey, Lord, wait, wait, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Before we send people away, and I got some questions about this myself. It's just a thought that I've got. It's an idea. But, um, Lord, uh, before you send these people away, um, you know, it's getting towards evening time. They haven't eaten. Um, Jesus says, feed them. And he's like, but, but hang on. I know there's 5,000 of them, maybe 20,000 of them, including everybody else. Like, what do we do here? Andrew's like, I got something I want to suggest. And Andrew, um, Andrew says, I've got this boy that's here, and he's got some, some bread, just a little bit. And he's got some fish, and in the original languages, it's, it's, it's more interpreted like little fish, like sardines. He's got like enough for the kid to eat, you know, and maybe a friend. He's like, there's this kid with a couple of fish and some bread, and I don't know if it would help. Can you imagine being Philip? <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in Philip's shoes, I look at Andrew and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> You're an idiot. Is that how G Jesus responds, though? Philip may have, but that's not how Jesus responds. Jesus is like, I'm sure in the back of his head, I knew this was going to happen. He's got uh, small loaves, a few fish, and uh, what happens? Jesus takes the fish, takes the bread, he breaks them, he prays, and he, begin he says, guys, go start passing this stuff out. And he starts passing them out, and you know, all these people are fed, and they end up taking like 12 baskets of leftovers home. Jesus did something astounding um, with just a little bit of faith, just a little bit. Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus, says, here's, here's this opportunity. And Jesus took just a little bit of faith in action, and he did something astounding and extraordinary. Can I tell you, I don't know how you're gifted or not gifted, but uh, we don't see a lot of Andrew's gifts. But one of his gifts was, was to have some faith in Jesus. And it seems small and maybe a little insane. But I don't know how you're gifted, but even if you see it as a little gift, if it's a little gift submitted to Christ Jesus in faith, God can move mountains with it. The Bible says faith the size of a mustard seed. That's like almost invisible. Um, that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. We're not moving mountains, we're moving souls. The Spirit of God is through our, through our faithful obedience, through the use of our seemingly insignificant gifts. You know, God has gifted you. The person sitting in your seat, he's gifted you too. 
And even if you see it, he doesn't see it this way, but even if you see it as an itty-bitty gift, it's not. Because any itty-bitty gift filled with faith is a powerful gift that God wants to use for his glory and the spread of the gospel. The difference between action and inaction is, is, is faith. You know, we like to think of faith as something that's internal. Faith is not something that's internal. Faith is something that begins internal, but it is always expressed externally. It's a choice that we make. Even when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, part of the reason baptism exists is because we are demonstrating in action the faith uh, that has been born on the inside. It's a first obedience. And it's the way that the rest of the Christian life works out. We see opportunities in front of us. We know that it agrees with the word of God. The spirit compels. And we have a choice every moment of every day. Will I take this little leap? Will I trust that God will do greater things than my eyes can see through this little step? I'm telling you, if we look at Andrew's life, we can, we can be confident that he will. If we look at the whole story of scripture, we can be confident that God will use what we see as insignificant gifts and use them for great and glorious things. So um, let me give you the last point. Andrew saw value, the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew's picture of all those who labor quietly. Andrew's a picture of all those who labor quietly and in humble places. You know, Ephesians 6, 6 says, um, not with eye service as man pleasers. Like that's, we don't serve as uh, for, the, for the affirmation of others so others will see what we do, but as bond slaves or bond servants to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, I love uh, in Matthew, actually, Matthew uh, chapter 6, when Jesus, is talking about, um, when Jesus is talking about prayer, one of the things that he says uh, in Matthew chapter 6 is that um, if somebody prays and they're praying so that everyone else can hear them, they've received their reward. But when we pray in secret, just before the Father, that there's more power in that as we seek to see God's will, like walked out through our prayer life. Like this is a principle that's all over Scripture. Just do it without recognition. You know, um, Andrew never preached to multitudes. He never founded a church. He never did anything the world would have said was great. Everybody who did things that the world said were great were people that Andrew touched, not Andrew himself. Is that enough? Is that enough? I'm not going to belabor, belabor this point, but um, do you know how it ended for Andrew? Anybody? You don't have to answer. I'm going to tell you. Uh, a lot of theologians and historians believe that he carried the gospel to Russia. We don't know that for certain. Some say that he went as far as Scotland, but he definitely was going and setting up shop in a city, and he would reach one and reach one and raise them up, and he'd reach one, and it wasn't preaching, but it was just he was a part of what God was doing in the world. And... Uh, one day he was witnessing to a Roman leader's wife, and she came to faith in Christ. She was radically saved. Her husband was not happy about it. As she had trusted in the Christian faith, um, 
he demanded that she denounce her new faith in Jesus, and she refused her husband. So he said, well, if you won't denounce it, then this man who is responsible for this will never share it with anyone else. So this Roman um, leader ordered that Andrew be crucified. Now, they crucified him on a cross that was shaped like this instead of this. It was like, a, it was, it was like this. And he wasn't actually nailed to the cross. He was bound to the cross, and he was beaten so badly that he, he bled to death on the cross. And it didn't take a day. It took several days for him to die. And his story among theologians and historians is, is something of an urban legend. But Andrew, um, it's said that while hanging on those cross for those days, people came by and they mocked him and that he never stopped sharing Jesus all the way to the very end one mocker at a time, until he took his very last breath. That's unbelievable. What God can do through one little insignificant life that sees a significant value for one soul is astounding. I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus and in the end, I want there to be people in the room that because I obeyed Jesus and I invited them or I invested in them or I induced, introduced them to Christ, I want there to be people there when I see Jesus that are there because they were one. It's one thing if you, would tr- if you try and no one ever comes. You know, there's missionaries who have been all over the world and they invest their whole lives and just one or two or none ever come to faith. But that's not the case for most of us. For most of us, we just need to get started with one and build a habit of sharing and building life and investing in one. You know, it's one thing if you tried and they wouldn't come. And uh, it's another thing, like if you're not willing to introduce your best friend, your family member, your neighbor, or your classmate to the one who can save them. And yet they say, studies have been done, that 98% of us, 98% of us have never shared the gospel or invited an unchurched or unsaved person to gather with the body of Christ. 98% of the church. The same study um, found that only 20% of us have ever invited an, another Christian to come with us to our church. I'm not sure how hard that would be. Hey, especially in this city. Hey, you're another Christian? That's fantastic. Let's stop talking about it. You know? I mean, in our city, it's like, you don't want to be alone. Come to our church, you know? Um, I don't know about you, but this whole thing of not building into another person's life, not inviting them into the body of Christ, lost or saved. That's got to stop. That's got to change. It has to. We want to encourage the church to begin inviting, investing, and introducing. We know people can be introduced to Jesus through the gathering of the body of Christ, but our hope is that you will begin to learn to do the work, not just rely on Google to get them in the door, not just rely on on online sermons or on whatever to see them come to faith in Jesus. Our hope is that you would buy into God's plan, that he redeemed you so that you would be redeemed, but that he redeemed you for a purpose so that others might be redeemed. 
You know, you might think, what's the God's will for my life? What's the plan for my life? Did you know that God's will for your life? 100%. I know God's will for your life. I don't know the particulars of your story and how that's going to all unfold, but can I tell you what God's will is for your life? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. That is God's will for your life. That's it. You will know the greatest joy that you can possibly know in Christ Jesus if you reorient your life around that calling. And in eternity, you will hear from a good heavenly father, well done, my good and faithful servant. When you stand before all the glories of God, if you make your life about that one thing. And I believe, I'm choosing to believe that God will be faithful to your faithfulness. And if you orient your life around the things that God has called us to orient our lives around, this disciple-making call, I believe that when you stand before the Lord, there will be others standing with you that are only there because they were your one. My prayer for our church is that every one of us would have ones that are surrounding us in eternity when we stand before the Lord. That's our prayer. Church family, I I know that building friendship and sharing your story, like, you don't feel super equipped to do this call if that's all you've got. But can I tell you, even with that little bit, God can do great things. He can do great things. I wouldn't be um, one of the pastors here uh, and doing a very good job if I didn't also give you the opportunity to learn a little bit more about how to have a gospel conversation. You know, you can share your story and what Christ has done, but to talk about what Jesus actually did in a way that, that's, that helps. So I want to do something for you. I want to help you a little bit more as you seek to raise your capacity. Remember, small obedience is enough. God can do a lot with a little, but we also want to give you every opportunity to know what you need to know. Um, I actually, they're on, on the chairs. I actually printed these out um, this morning. It's just a uh, little thing that says, I want to learn how to use the three circles method. So there's a method that our denomination puts out that's super simple. It's, it's one of these ways to talk about Jesus that you can kind of draw out on a napkin over coffee or dinner. It's, a, it's an aid or a tool that you can utilize that, is, that can go along with your story. You know, at the beginning of this, of this method, you're, you're talking about how God created the world, and then you're talking about what sin did, and you're talking about what Christ did, and then you're talking about what God did to transform a life that embraces Christ. And it kind of works around, um, around the circle as you draw on a napkin or you kind of talk through this thing. And you can incorporate your story into this and, and talk pretty well about what Christ has done. And so um, we actually on, if they're not on the tables, there's definitely some under the counters. We have some little booklets that explain um, the three-circle method. It's more of a tool that you can use when you're sitting with folks. Um, and so you can take one of those home with you today. But we have some online training that we want to invite the church to access. It's brief, uh, it's video-driven, and um, it's a guy up there talking, but it requires your name and your email address. And we're going to put you in a system, send you an email, you're going to open it up, and there's going to be some videos for you to work through. It's one of these systems where at the end, when you click all done, like the pastors of the church know you did it. And so, um, you know, that may scare you. You might think, well, I don't want to do it because if I don't get it all done, there's all kinds of grace and mercy. If you don't do it, that's fine. It's no big deal. Like we're not, there's no judgment here. But here's what's going to happen. We're going to come up with something to give you after you get done with it to incentivize you to watch it. And so just know, like you finish it and we see it click, you're going to find something in the mail. 
just gonna way, way it's going to work. And we're super excited to incentivize that. But uh, honestly, we just want to bless your obedience. We want to bless your desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And uh, so we want to encourage you. Put your name and your email address here, and you can leave it in your seat or put it on the back ledge back there. There's a little basket on the table, actually a little bowl with some pins in it. You can even stick it in a little bowl with some pins, the pins. But put it on there, and this week you get a little opportunity to work through that training. And my hope is we'll have a bunch of those three circle cards on the table next week um, here in the worship service. You can take them with you, and you can begin to share your story, invest in your one that you're praying for, and you'll have another tool in the bag in order to help you. Um, share Christ. You know, um, I said this already, but who's your one's not over. The sermon series is over. Who's your one is forever. We're inviting you into into an Andrew sort of life. One that sees value in others. One that loves others. One that wants, wants to step out in faith and take action. We want to invite you to leap. So if you're a Christian today, our hope this morning, as we sing in the last song, as we kind of wrap the service up, our hope is that in your heart you would pray something like, God, uh, thank you for redeeming me. I want my life to be about what you want my life to be about. I want to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. Lord, help me as I seek to invest in one. Help me. Give me your strength and your power as I seek to invest in one. I want to know the joy that it is to walk in a calling that God has placed on my life. God, help, help empower me to walk with my one, or my two, or my three, or my four, over the course of your life. Make a commitment. Now, some of you are in the room today, and you're like, man, this is a lot. I came to church, you know, for a little, little heart pat. A friend invited me. I didn't know if it would be awkward or what. And now you're telling me I need to evangelize. Pause. God has a plan for your life. The beginning of God's plan for your life is wonderful, beautiful, redemptive relationship with God. If you do not have a wonderful relationship with God, if you have not surrendered your life over to Christ and he's not walking with you, you're not communing with him, you're not abiding in him, you don't know the joy of God, can I tell you that it's, it's incredibly simple? It's a free gift, actually. It's like having a baby. It's a free gift, but it has some implications. You know? You receive that gift and you go... Thank you. But the Lord is going to be faithful to shape you for what what the implications are. But you just have to trust that he will. It's what faith looks like. There's implications. But don't worry about the implications right now as much as worrying about the fact that, that God wants you to be his son or his daughter. That's where it begins. It begins with, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for what Christ has done in dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I receive his free gift of of forgiveness and grace. Here I am, Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to open the word of God uh, with the church today. Father, I thank you for this this life, Andrew's life, um, this unassuming man who um, chose to be used of the spirit of God to do great things, uh, one person at a time. Uh, one conversation at a time, one investment at a time. Lord, I pray that we would see his uh, 
the littleness of his um, life, and we see the power of God filling it and doing great things. I pray that we would see that and that we would, see, that we would grow in hope for, for ourselves. God, fill our little lives with the power of your Spirit, our gifts, our passions, our, our abilities with the power of the Spirit of God, and use us to do great and mighty things. We're believing you for that. Father, I pray for people in the room today who um, maybe somebody in the church said, hey, I want to invite you to gather with the body of Christ so that you might see Christ in these people and, and hear Christ through his word. Lord, I pray that if there's people in the room today that that's, that's where they are and they, they don't know you, Father, I pray that uh, today would be a day that they receive the gift of your grace, that they pray a simple prayer, God, um, I give myself over to you. Thank you for, for saving me. God, we know that because you're faithful to your promises that you always, you'll always save. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.